0: Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. This is a live, uh, it's not an intermittent frivolity, it's an unscheduled, semi-scheduled, random conversation uh, with someone that Karen and I both uh, really admire a lot. Uh, as a reminder, I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined by Carrie, who is here in her hat.
1: Hello, uh, Carter. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm Today- very excited. Yeah, about today's guest. I just got to see her in D.C. This is DC. a
0: live... Someone, today's guest, is listening to the show in the background, and we'll stop now. <laughs>
2: I'm not. We...
3: Oh, okay.
0: That was That, that was, was you, Carrie? Oh, I was blaming Libby. It I'm sorry, me? Libby. Anyway... Yeah. Uh, everyone, we get to talk to Libby Emmons today. She's a senior editor for The Post Millennial and a senior contributor to The Federalist. She lives with her son in Brooklyn, New York. She's been on our show before. Um... And you can follow her on social media at at, uh, Libby Emmons on Twitter and Facebook, Libby.Emmons. Libby, welcome to Unsafe Space again.
3: Thanks. It's been a while.
0: Thank you for, uh, thanks for gracing us with your presence. I have, um, Carrie sent me a couple, uh, oh wait, where's my, I already screwed stuff up, guys. I'm supposed to have Libby in this scene and she's not. So here's Libby in this scene. There we go.
1: This is what happens when this you do thing. an impromptu video. I know. So,
0: Here's, this yeah. will be all three of us. There we go. We got all three of us. Done. Hi. OK. Cool. You've been writing some interesting stuff about crises.
3: Uh, yeah, I've been pretty interested about that. Um, we've had so many crises this year. And <laughs> there were also so many crises last year, which was fascinating. Um, yeah, so we have the COVID crisis, we have the uh, racism crisis, the climate crisis. Um, a Massachusetts mayor in Lemmonster recently declared that remote learning was a um, crisis, uh, which is interesting. My son in the background, who has stayed home from remote school today, said, uh, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, um Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, so we had the COVID crisis and that crisis was used as a means to enact broad sweeping executive powers over the entire population. Um, and then when president Trump did not go along with enacting these broad sweeping freedom stealing measures at the federal level, uh, And everybody did it at the state and local level. He was criticized for not doing it as though the federal government actually has the kind of overarching, wildly totalitarian power to do that kind of thing, which they don't. Um, That was pretty interesting. And then we had, um, so we did that for a while. And then it turned out that racism was a bigger health crisis than the plague. So, After that, um, after it turned out that racism was a much bigger health crisis than plague, uh, uh, people who were against racism got to leave their homes and go speak their their minds um, against racism, which, I mean, obviously racism sucks, like, no, it's it's not a thing to, it's not reasonable to be racist. So people who wanted to speak against racism got to leave their homes. And if you didn't want to speak against racism, then not only were you probably racist, but you didn't get to leave your house either. Um,
1: can, can we pause there for a second? So <laughs> yeah. in one of the pieces that Carter's talking about, you, it, and this one is on the Post Millennial and it's titled, Joe Biden and his supporters want us to live in perpetual crisis. And in that one, you kind of lay out All the different times this year, we've been told that something is a public health crisis. And as you're saying, they did. We started hearing it in the public consciousness that racism is now a public health crisis. What is the criteria for declaring something a public health crisis?
3: Well, I think we don't know. And I don't (laughs) think anyone who declares these things, public health crises, knows either. A good example of that is racism. If racism is a public health crisis, then we need to stop the presses and jump on board of fixing racism. Um, Right now, racism has been with us for an exceedingly long time. Certainly, there was racism prior to the founding of the United States. Uh, There was racism all over Europe. There's racism in Africa. There's racism in South America. There's racism in... East Asia and South Asia, um, as well as North America. North America does not have a monopoly on disliking people and oppressing them because they are different.
0: In fairness, there's only racism Um, um, (laughs) on the planet where there are humans.
3: Right, right. That's a super good point.
2: Um,
3: And I think think we should definitely keep that in mind. Hmm. So there's that. So the public health crisis of racism is actually pretty poorly defined as to what that crisis means. The public health crisis of coronavirus seemed to be well-defined. At first, we were gonna do two weeks to flatten the curve. And then that way, I mean, the idea behind the flatten the curve, right, made a lot of sense. Let's not flood the hospitals with our sick people. Probably a lot of us are going to get sick. Let's just try not to all get sick at the same time, right? That seemed really reasonable and even sort of smart. Uh, Let's not all get sick at the same time. Good chance a bunch of us are going to get really sick, right? And we're going to have to go to the hospital. We saw it happen in Europe. Um, We saw it happen in China until they stopped giving us any information whatsoever, which I think was in early March. Their numbers are still 83,000 dead because they haven't given us any new information, and they won't. Um, So two weeks of flatten the curve is now eight months plus to eliminate the virus from society altogether. It's a drastically different goal. It's not the; It has nothing to do with the original goal. The original goal made sense. Let's not all get sick all at once. And now there's this new goal, which is we can't even have a single case of coronavirus. We're so terrified of it. Um, highly contagious. It's got the spike protein, all of that. Um, people die from it. 200,000 people, definitely not a great thing, not something we wanna have to um, you know, face personally or with people that we love, but there it is.
1: Mm-hmm. This
3: is something we have to deal with. There's not really any way around that.
1: So in the other piece that you wrote, uh, this is also in the post-millennial, it's called uh, Kamala Harris declares climate change, a public health crisis. I guess, I guess not to belabor a point, but I never really thought of this until I read your piece. There's, I think there should be a criteria for public officials using the term public health crisis. Because otherwise you can just engage. It seems like the way it is now, anybody can just say that and engage in hyperbole, Mm -hmm. but you're doing it from a position of power where you're elected to represent the people and you're contributing to panic if you don't have, you could be contributing to panic if you don't have some type of, Mm -hmm. of measurement of what qualifies for public health crisis.
3: Right, I think that makes perfect sense. And yeah, Kamala Harris went out to the wildfires in California in her home state. And she said that climate change is a public health crisis that we need to do something about. Joe Biden has said that climate change is this massive crisis that we need to do something about. And then he touts his record of having been working to correct um, the human caused components of climate change since the 1980s. So if this is a massive public health crisis, you know we're going on 50 years of being sort of fine in this crisis, um, and there's also this idea that we're that we're finding with let's you know let's go with these three public health crises this year. We've got coronavirus, racism, and um, climate change. So the way that our elected leaders are dealing with each of these public health crises is to say, okay, this is a crisis. Stop everything, right? Coronavirus. Stop everything, no more school, no more work, go inside, just stay there. We'll let you know when it's safe to come out, right? When we have tackled the boogeyman, we'll let you know. Um, Racism, stop everything, everything is a disaster. Everything our country is about is complete nightmare, racist, terrible, burn it down from the beginning. The constitution is racist, the declaration of independence is racist, all of our founding fathers were racist um which you know probably they were racist hold on one second honey be quiet
0: <laughs> see see homeschooling uh that the school thing is a crisis
3: <laughs> yeah the uh the mayor of lemonster massachusetts uh, Nicole Russell wrote an article for us about this. It declared remote learning a public health crisis because he was saying that our children are just not getting educated. And he is not wrong. The children are not getting educated. Um, I'm trying to turn mine into an autodidact. You know, that's going amazing so far. Nice. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so then racism, you know, shut it all down. Not just that, let's burn stuff down. Looting is, looting is reparations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, climate change, same thing. Uh, Governor Newsom in California said after 2035, no new gas-powered cars are going to be able to be sold in the state. We've got to stop everything. So I think there's also a complete fallacy about the idea that a crisis means we need to stop everything we're doing and drastically do something. right. Right. I think probably a crisis means these kinds of crises specifically, should mean something more along the line, let us assess the risk, let's take t- take stock of the, you know, the threat, and let's figure out how, how we are going to adapt to this new threat, how we are going to deal with it in our daily lives so that we can continue being human beings and live in a successful society, which there's no doubt that the United States has been a very successful society. There are problems, of course. A big part of why we're so aware of our problems is that American culture, primarily our ethos of American exceptionalism, means that we are perfectionists with regard to our own culture. We can sort of see what perfection would be, right? Yeah. We can see what it would be and to have complete freedom and all of that. And we can't figure out how to get there. And the reason we can't figure out how to get there is because we're focusing on this end result as opposed to sticking with the processes that have gotten us to this point in the first place, which is valuing individual freedoms, um, maintaining individual liberty, tolerance and acceptance for people, equality under the law, right? We now have equality under the law. Is there still racism? This is going to have to get worked, but it's not. There aren't, aren't exactly legal measures to force people to change their hearts. You know what I mean? It's going to be a process, and we have to exist with that process and adapt, and continue to, you know, continue to express our uh, our freedoms. I think.
0: My favorite part will be when um, Does that makes
1: sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And my favorite part will be when the economy completely collapses, and that will be a crisis, and it will be blamed on capitalism and Mm -hmm. see the mixed economy doesn't work uh we need more planning because we shut it down and it failed
3: um well the pope said that the pope said the other day that capitalism has failed really (laughs) capitalism tends to fail when you have totalitarian dictatorial middle manager leaders telling everyone that they can't engage in any economic activity right then yeah it's gonna fail We shut all
0: our businesses down, and uh, it doesn't work after that. What do you know?
3: Uh, Oh, no. If you take everyone's job away, they're unemployed. So,
0: Yeah.
1: So something I – well, one thing Lady Della says in chat, she says, X is a public crisis is a catchphrase for more government control of individual lives. And I think she's right for the most part. Most of the times when I hear that, it seems to be – Accompanied by because, you know, I've heard them say, you know, mass shootings are a public health crisis. Why? Because they want to then impose legislation that would restrict the Second Amendment rights. Um, What I'm curious about are the things with all these different public health crises that we're hearing about this year. Why aren't we hearing about some of the problems that have bigger death tolls or um, bigger implications on human lives. So for example, a few years ago, we started hearing about the opioid crisis and that hasn't gone away, but I don't hear about it this year, you know, and, and that's something where I was just looking at figures because I couldn't remember how many people it affected. The numbers from 2015, so this is five years ago and they've only increased, but 1.2 million women addicted to opioids and 1 million men in 2015 but that's not something that we talk Mm -hmm. about in the public consciousness
3: we don't talk about it anymore that is interesting i know um we you know we're post-millennial and i know that in british columbia there's been a huge huge increase in opioid deaths this year compared to the same period last year and it's because of the lockdown which may in fact be a public health crisis there's been an increase in suicidal ideation um There's been an increase in suicides. There's been an increase in depression from social isolation. There's been an increase in obesity among children and probably adults. Um,
0: Domestic violence has increased. Domestic
3: violence has increased. Yeah, Yeah. I know that uh, there's a lot of cases where teachers are the first ones who notice that um, children are being abused at home, and they're the ones who then are able to intervene and try and get help for that child. Um, and that's not happening now. Mm-hmm. There was a case in Florida where a little girl was on a Zoom call and her mom's ex-boyfriend came into the house and shot her mom live on the Zoom call.
0: Jeez.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: So, I mean, yeah. I, it's pretty... Well, but th- there, there I, is a definition have... for the crisis, though. There There's a definition, and that definition is would calling this thing a crisis allow us to exercise more power and expand our control over the population that's the definition that's why opioid crisis yeah. isn't talked about because it won't work that's why um <laughs> th- that that's why racism is being talked about that's why covid is being talked about so mm-hmm. th- there is a there is a definition for it we just don't like the definition because there's i, I the other thing i just want to point out about this is there is nothing more anti-scientific than prohibiting questions and criticism of anything. And when all of these crises, all of the ones you mentioned, COVID, racism, climate change, none of these things, you are not allowed to question any part of the narrative. You're not allowed to ask for clarification. You're not allowed to bring up counter evidence. You're not allowed to have a discussion. So it, to me, it's very clear that the, the entire word crisis is just a politically manufactured word word for political ends there is no there's no pretense it's just a pretense at anything yeah
3: and when you say not allowed um in very real ways when we post things on um twitter or facebook talking about um you know a lot of the wildfires in the past 10 years or something but if you post that on facebook you're is going to get flagged, your site is going to get demonetized right. it turns into a disaster. So you're not allowed to talk about that. Um, when you talk about these things on Twitter, you get uh, labels and warnings, information that you're sharing because it doesn't go along with the narrative. And the idea is that the narrative itself is so important that it can't be questioned. Because uh, there, was a, there was a video of Michelle Obama speaking today about, you know, she was advocating for Joe Biden to be elected. um, And she was saying basically that people don't have time to figure things out for themselves. They don't have time to let go do the fact checking themselves. And so it's really important to uh, shut down basically what his supporters say because he's lying. And we all know he's lying. And so... um, because the people basically aren't smart enough to figure out their own opinions, um, these alternate views need to be shut down. And I think that's a horrifyingly dangerous thing to say. And what you're going to have is you're going to have uh, your basic, you know, pardon the term, coastal elites, of which I am very clearly one. You're going to have, you know, the leftist coastal elites <laughs> primarily uh, agreeing with Michelle Obama, saying all of these rubes out in the rest of the country, the flyover country, whatever, are probably too stupid to figure this out. Meanwhile, you have all the people in the rest of the country going like, I'm actually really smart. I read, I consider things, I'm thoughtful, I have views, Mm -hmm. because they're not idiots. You know, the voting public, the left wants us to believe that the voting public are stupid, uninformed, easily influenced, You know, people who just want to carry their guns around and, like, not not care about anything else. And it's just not true. Americans are not stupid. They know what they want. They read. They understand things. They're informed, you know. And I think that it's callous and disingenuous to treat them like they don't. And that's what we do when we tell everybody it's a crisis. We're, like, get all amped up. Get all hyped up. Get Mm -hmm. get all stressed out. And then let us tell you what to do, you know.
1: I think to go back to something uh, you were saying Carter well this is interesting to me if if i think about the ones the, the things that they talk about as being a public health crisis versus the things that they don't so on the list of things you've addressed this year libby you have covid racism and climate change and i would mm-hmm. add to that not this year but in recent years mass shootings so these are all things that involve giving the government more control over our lives. That's what they're telling us anyway. Whereas the, the, the things that could be called a public health crisis that they're not talking about, opioid addiction, obesity, suicide, depression, you know, mental health issues, domestic violence, these are things that require cultural change and personal responsibility to take control of your mm-hmm. life. So it's maybe that's the difference in the uh, things that they're talking I, about versus not talking about.
0: I don't know. Do I think, think they could make an argument that any one of those things could be. They could insert the government in any one of those things if they wanted to, right? They the government okay. the war on drugs is it, it could be expanded to opioid. Like they they, they can insert the government. I think they I think could. the, the right. litmus right. test okay. is do they think the population is responsive to government expansion in this particular area? And I don't think there's a I don't think there's a strong Um, popular desire to expand the war on drugs so that's not gonna work. Um, People aren't energized by some of the zone things but I mean look at look at how they couched 2008 right they called it a financial crisis but we never had a discussion about what actually caused it other than you weren't really even allowed then to have a discussion it must be not enough regulation we must pass more regulation. It must be like larger government is definitely the answer. And don't you dare question why the existing revolving door between Wall Street and relationship with the government failed in some way and they bailed out large banks. Let's not talk about that. Let's just agree that the answer is larger government. And so I think think it's really just, personally, I just think they're taking the pulse of the population and figuring out what can we get away with? Oh, George Floyd, the reason racism is a crisis is George Floyd and a few other incidents had a nice anecdotal visual narrative that got people riled up. And now was the time to pour gas on that fire. Now is the time to make a crisis out of it. If there's another mass shooting, now will be the time. Um, Climate change, I think they've they've called that a crisis for decades.
1: Okay, so do you see them ever doing that with any of those things on the list i just like like with drugs they may come back to that at some point this is a a public health crisis and we need more government regulation
0: i think if they they could get away with it they would i don't think public sentiment i think public sentiment for the war on drugs is starting to move the other direction so i think that will be a hard case to make uh as you see like marijuana especially as things
3: get legalized yeah
0: yeah. Right. Marijuana is getting legalized. So I don't think I don't think I think that'll be a hard case to make in the short term. What were some other things on your list, though, Carrie?
1: Obesity. Me.
0: Well, like, they are trying I, 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 to make so obesity. Was, yeah,
3: was a, they tried to do that. Yeah. And it turned out that the way to do that was to prohibit people from buying soda.
0: Right. <laughs> right. So they so they do. So they are trying to do exactly. They are trying to make exactly
3: what you said. Okay. yeah what were and some I other things on your list obesity violence. they don't really care about domestic violence nobody right. cares about that because that's just that just affects women and children
0: yeah so domestic violence no is hard because them, really yeah. it's hard to like for... how do you have a how do you expand government for domestic violence that's a hard one although yeah um
3: well law enforcement is really a way to do that if you look mm-hmm. at the situations surrounding Jacob Blake who was shot and paralyzed in Kenosha. If you look at what he had a warrant out for and what he was doing there, I believe he was violating a restraining order. And that's why he, the police were called on him. Um, and you had the officer who did the shooting said that um, he believed the children were in danger or that they weren't actually supposed to be leaving the home at that at that point um, with Blake. So that's sort of a confusing situation. It's hard to figure out what all of the pieces are. There's vying narratives. But one thing we do know is that he had a warrant out because of a domestic violence situation, and that yes. completely got swept under the rug because it' more important, the bigger crisis than the domestic violence crisis is the racism with police crisis. So nobody cares that. Right, but Lena, you are seeing had experienced that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a good I, point.
0: I, I agree. They don't... but but you are seeing you are seeing the the. With respect to kids, um, you are seeing a lot of this argument that, that we need government preschool, government um, uh, daycare. Government needs to get more involved early on with kids. And part of the justification for that is the crisis of parents not being able to properly raise their children or whatever. So I, I again, I think it's just a litmus test for what, what can we get away with right now that's in the Zeitgeist? Like, what's going to get people riled up that's going to allow us to expand our power? Um, and we call that a crisis right.
3: In, uh, it's interesting there's lot, yeah, there's a lot of advocacy among the left for programs that are more similar to those in Scandinavian countries with regard to um, you know, maternity leave and socialized medicine and things like that. And a writer just came to us recently. She was referred by um Sumantra Maitra, who's a very interesting writer, this woman, Rachel Wolf. Um I believe she's an American living in um, Scandinavia. And she was talking about the policies with regard to families and children in Scandinavia are drastically different than they are here because so much is made towards um, helping families and raising children and education and, you know, maternal leave and all of these different things in itself feels a much stronger responsibility for each individual child. And therefore, feels a right to get much more involved between the parents and to um, structure and parent child relationships and what that's all about. So it looks like, in fact, these kinds of policies are more about driving a wedge into traditional family structure and putting the state more in charge of the children, so that the children more belong to the state than they do to the parents. And while I think Americans have uh, this fantastical idea of how much we could provide for our citizens in terms of what have you, maternal leave, education, uh, all of these different programs and options, we have these ideas about what we can do and we can sort of visualize how great it would be. What we don't ever visualize is the other side, right? I used to do bookkeeping for my job and double entry bookkeeping is there's two sides of every transaction. And I think that we forget that there are two sides of every social transaction as well. So the more we pay in taxes to fund the, you know, fund families and all of this stuff, the more control in fact our government is going to demand because the people are going to demand it because they're paying for it. Right, it's like um, when I was a kid and my mom would buy me an ice cream, she would like take a giant bite and I would be like, what are you doing? And she'd be like, that's the tax. You have to pay tax on the ice cream that I bought you. Um, So we forget about that. Anytime you get something from the government, you have to give something back. And what we're going to be giving back and what we give back in every case are our freedoms. We inch away our rights just little by little until we don't even notice that we've done it anymore. I was saying that, um, I was talking to some people on Twitter today who were saying like, what lockout, what you mean that you have to wear a mask? You know, are you annoyed that you have to go to the, that when you go to the gym, you can't stand next to other people? Uh, what What are you even talking about? And there it is. Little by little, we give away mm-hmm. our rights just a teensy mm-hmm. bit at a time. And then the people who are comfortable having given Giving away their rights, shame everybody else for not taking enough responsibility, you know, for themselves and being upset that they have to wear a mask. Maybe the masks are super helpful and are saving everybody's lives. If so, why are we having an uptick in cases in New York? Everybody on the street is wearing a mask. I never see anybody without a mask in the city. Same thing in Washington D.C. What's going on with that? Um, but yeah, that's the that's the problem. If we give If the government gives to us, we're going to have to give back and we're not going to like what we have to give away.
1: I uh, that's a great point about about people looking around and and sort of the people who are comfortable giving away rights, shaming those who aren't. And I think they get the I think they get the whole concept of personal responsibility backwards, you Mm -hmm. know, because they don't seem to understand what personal responsibility means. Personal responsibility does not mean government mandates. It means personal, personal responsibility. You take yours, Mm -hmm. I take mine. You choose Mm -hmm. what risk you subject yourself to, I choose what risk I subject myself to. Everything we do, is we we weigh the risk in every choice that we make. You choose to go out on the road and drive, you're taking a risk, but you make that choice. And you decide mm-hmm. what things you're willing to do and what things you're not. And if, and when we don't have mandates, government mandates restricting personal freedom basically say, you guys are too stupid to figure out personal responsibility. We're gonna tell you what you have to do. No, okay. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and
3: I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not prohibiting people. I'm not gonna go skydiving. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. You know, Yeah. like that's okay. You don't have you don't have to have the government tell you what to do. Yeah. And it's uh, it's sort of infuriating to watch, especially coming from the left, where I know we both to see how easily and comfortably these rights are being given away. These rights that have been so, so, so hard fought for. Um, I mean, the civil rights, uh, what does it mean if, if we're just going to keep giving away our rights, when are we going to get to those? You know, How soon are yeah. we getting, getting to the point where we just give it all away? And to a certain extent, we are giving away some of our protections under the Civil Rights Act um, just by changing the concept of sex protections to gender protections and then
1: allowing self-ID. So that's already confusing. That's I a just totally different podcast. Yeah. You're making me think of uh, <laughs> the way that they the way that they get us comfortable with giving up our rights too is that they enforce they they put out this propaganda. I just drove um, to Austin and back this morning, and I saw three different billboards with people with masks. One was in Spanish, two were in English, and they were basically you know war is peace, slavery's freedom kind of billboards. In my mind, I'm like, oh, look at this propaganda. It's like wearing masks. Is, I can't remember what they said, but it was something to the effect of, you know, mm-hmm. wear a mask for for the public good, for all of us. And right. just kind of right. this this messaging to keep you comfortable with it, because obviously the longer that this is dragging out when they said it was two weeks to flatten the curve, but now it's who knows when it'll end, you know, get used to wearing that mask guys. It's American, it's the American way. Right. Like right. it was yeah, gross. I mean,
3: I'll go out into the street with my son, and we'll go to the grocery store. You have to wear your mask at the grocery store, okay? But when we come out of the store, I'm like, take it off, kid. No, I do not want you to get comfortable breathing the stale air of your own mouth when you know we're walk. I mean, how fresh is the air in Brooklyn? But you see my point. There were um there were there were signs on the subway that were put out by the MTA, the um New York, and the it was like three signs. And the first one was, you know, don't do this. The second one was like, maybe do this. And the third one was, this is the right way to behave. The first one was people talking to each other, right? Just without masks, just talking to (laughs) each other.
1: No. Wrong,
3: wrong. The second (laughs) one, the second one was people talking to each other with masks on. Okay. That was medium and probably not okay. The third one was two people sitting isolated separately, looking down at their own thing. So the right thing to do, guys, is to not engage with people in society, not make friends, don't talk to anybody, and be happy in your little tiny bubble of one. That's the right thing to do, according to the New York City Metropolitan Transit Authority. No, this is not okay. You know, people, and in New York, it kills me too. I mean, I live in New York. I've lived here a really long time. So much of a New Yorker's life happens in public. We're on the subway in public. We're on the streets in public. People break up with each other on the sidewalk in front of 500 (laughs) other people who are just walking by. You know, there was a period of time where I was, like, crying on the subway all the time. Uh, So I was just sitting there on the subway, and I would cry. And now and then someone would be like, just pass me a tissue. And I'd be like, thank you. You know, that's it. We live our lives in public. And And we live in tiny apartments you know yeah but, you were um, saying
1: this to me about how the apartments are so small that everyone in new york kind of lives outside at and restaurants and at parks you go and to yeah.
3: restaurants museums you know um parks bars people have local bars use gonna you're gonna see them there every night you know that's the living room i used to have a coffee shop for my living room and that was my living room it was five blocks away and that's where i would be um that's just how we do we go to our social events People don't go over to each other's houses, but now you're not supposed to do anything, you know? And I'll talk to people. I ran a story at the Federalist about how Alexandria cortez was saying, we're not going to go back to brunch. Let this moment radicalize you, right? And that's what she said. Um, and a bunch of other stuff, because she really, she could talk on that Instagram feed. So I ran this story, I posted it on Facebook, and a bunch of people got really mad at me about it. And they were telling me all of the different ways that they have come up with to learn to socialize with their friends despite the lockdown, pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought that that was um, so myopic to believe that because they have friends who live near them, who they can socialize with in their backyards in Brooklyn because they live in a garden level apartment or what have you, that means that that's true for everybody There are so many people in this city and I'm sure all over the country that live by themselves that don't have super tight friends. We've seen this study after study has shown us that there's been a decline in close friendships over the years. People just don't have this. And if you live alone, if you don't have close friends, if your closest friends are among the 400,000 people who have fled New York City and are probably not coming back, where are you supposed to find community? The churches were closed. Schools were closed. Work was closed. What were you supposed to do? You know, in New York, you can go sit at a bar and order a meal and talk to everybody hanging out with you. Like, there's your your social engagement. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the more we lock people up, the more we just cause people to suffer like this. It's not
0: reasonable. We've talked about uh, the need for authoritarianism authoritarian authoritarians to control a population and one of those one of the things they need to control is um your thoughts and they can do that through language but another way that they Mm -hmm. can control what you think is to make sure that you don't talk amongst yourselves about it too much um because it's through interaction with other people that you can like oh you know i was questioning that thing too or i had the same question about blah 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 or i noticed that too and you guys you know you have a you have some sort of um sense of uh, a life and and worth and community apart from the government by having people around you, and b, you're able to kind of exchange ideas outside of the control of uh, an authority figure telling you what to think. This is why schools hate the home uh, remote learning because they don't they don't like the idea that the parents are going to get too much influence on the kids and we don't have complete control over the classroom anymore. And so I I think we've got I don't want to say this is all like a big conspiracy theory engineered, but it's definitely all these all these pieces are fitting in um for one particular goal, which is to have a population that accepts an authoritarian government um, and doesn't question narratives and uh and relies on the government for Basically everything, possibly including the the path through which they can socialize with other people. If you can only mm-hmm. socialize on social social media, then they get to watch that interaction and yeah. they get to monitor they, that interaction and, and control that some you, way, and right? They get to they sell get you
1: stuff. You, yeah, they sure. Get to they monitor can sell you it. stuff too. Yep. They can monetize it. They can, you know, they can't do that when you're sitting on the train talking to someone next to you. But if you're online, you know, that can be monetized and tracked. Uh, and yeah. as you're pointing out, they only socialize Carter. It's, it's almost as if we're being forced to only socialize in certain ways. And I just have to say, this is not a super chat, but I saw Jensen and Chad said, I started going to riots just for the social connections. Right.
3: That makes perfect sense right. to me. Yeah. You know, have definitely been, um, I've seen like videos of protests and stuff where it's basically, it's a dance party in the street. And like, that seems like, go for it right? Please have a dance party in the street. Please have a dance party against racism in the street. But don't simultaneously keep the movie theater closed and the theaters closed and the dance clubs closed, or make it so that you can't have a party under the bridge that's not about political perspective. Um, You know, it's like, there's no reason not to have a dance party in the street, but there's no reason not to have a dance party for some other reason them too it just is it's a it's a drastic massive hypocrisy designed to keep people cowed and I don't, I don't think it was intentionally designed i just think that that's where we landed and i think that that's the kind of you know and we were already so self-hating as a society that we have completely ignored the reality that civilization is a fragile web of connections and that to maintain, I and mean, we've we've lived in amazing peace and prosperity for our entire lives, right? I mean, yeah. we're all about the, you know, same age-ish. And that's what we've had. We've had, we haven't had war in our streets. We haven't, um, you know, other than like 9-11, we haven't really had, um, there he goes, wandering <laughs> around. Anyway, yeah. um, we haven't had a lot of that stuff. We've had increasing economic prosperity across the board and across the world, and we just hate it
1: so much. Yeah, we want something to be focused on and, and and to have a crisis about. I have a question for you guys both, and this, Tatiana Fisk in the chat made me think of this. She said earlier something to the effect of, have you noticed there haven't been any school shootings in 2020? And I just looked it up on Wikipedia, And I had to scroll forever through 2019, all the list of school shootings to get to 2020. And there was, according to Wikipedia, there were a couple in January. There is one in February. And then there was, there wasn't another one until September. And this was a a drug deal gone wrong in a parking lot where one person was killed. So it's not the type of mass Mm -hmm. shooting we think of. So I'm curious. Why is that? Why well, are we no seeing? There's no school. There's no school, but so oh, okay. that makes
0: it difficult to have school shootings. There's no one at school. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... aside
1: from that, but mass shooting, ma- mass shootings, what like Orlando nightclub? Because there's no gatherings like the of people theater. to go mass shoot. But you know what it is? Yeah. I think it has a different. I think it's much
3: different. Okay. I think it has to do with the definitions. We yeah. have had mass shootings. We've had hundreds of people killed in Chicago. We've had mass shootings. In New York City, we've had lots of people shot. Um, it's just that when we think about mass shootings, no one considers, uh, you know, organized crime. No one considers, you know, the street violence associated with organized crime. Why don't they do that? Why does that not count as a mass shooting?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not that's not ever counted as a mass shooting. They, they've always it's not, not ever, ever counted it as a mass shooting
3: because right. not, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't fit the narrative. Right. It doesn't fit the narrative of disgruntled, you know, white people taking their white supremacy and shooting up schools. Right. right. And that's the narrative that we hear about mass shootings. We don't hear the narrative about like, you know, people with guns who are involved in organized criminal activities. And we hear now that, like, the only reason there's crime is because there's poverty and want and and all of that stuff. The reason there's crime is because there's avarice and greed, just like the same reason there's always been organized crime. People can find a great tax-free way to get what they want and get it fast and easier than having to, you know, I don't know, get involved in the white collar crime that happens on Wall Street or whatever. I don't know. But it's not, it just, it doesn't suit the narrative.
1: So we don't hear about it. Right. Here's here's what wait, I think. Uh, I, I asked. OK, well, ahead, ahead. I, I have a an idea about this. Some places are in session, by the way, some schools like here in Texas. I have friends who's, whose kids are back in school, but it, I know it varies very by few, state. Relatively. Yeah. But here's what I think is happening. One, when the media focuses on something and they decide to make it a crisis and they give it a lot of attention, I think you get copycat scenarios going on. And so school shooting is not the narrative right now. It's just not COVID's the narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, racism is the narrative. And I think that the narrative that they sell us of these disaffected white young men who go and shoot up lots of places, those guys are getting their, 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 um, what's the word? Their resentful Anger and animosity out in other ways like somebody in chat said why shoot up a school when you can go join a riot? There's riots now,
2: right? You can go right. get
1: that out that way
3: it's And that's
1: the narrative, burned yeah down
3: a Skyscraper burn down right. Ted wheelers house out in Portland.
0: Yeah, well, or you yeah. can or you can uh, Turn to domestic violence. I mean you, you let out your <laughs> aggressions in other ways you you yeah. like You know or or you just murder people one at a time in Chicago, right? Um, I do want to push right. back on, on or something a that, at a
3: time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to say, I, I know you you were saying earlier that we're not here intentionally. And I agree with that sort of, I don't think we like intentionally, there's not like a master plan that we marched here, but I will say that none of this is new. This is all a consequence of really bad philosophy. It's the same philosophy that, that instigated the Russian revolution and brought in communism and did everything like all this has happened before the same tactics the same sentiment the same everything like this all happens and it all happens with a particular ideology and a particular way of viewing humans and um, and by and they all share very similar things destruction of the family this the child becomes the ward of the state like they want the state to control indoctrination. Um, they're all about the expansion of power and authoritarianism, and they're all they're all anti Enlightenment in the sense of individual rights are uh, ignored, and that and that people are uh, really cogs for for the betterment of quote the state, whatever that means. Whether you're uh, a mm-hmm. communist in China or a communist in uh, the Soviet Union or a Nazi uh, in in Germany, it doesn't matter. It's all some kind of overarching state goal that matters more than your individual rights. So I, I agree that we're not here like in, in, in like a very the proximate cause is not intentional. But the people who pushed these ideas know knew way back when they started pushing them and way back when we started uh, letting our universities be run by outright Marxists. Uh, they knew exactly where this stuff led. Uh, they could not have not known. Where this goes. And so I'm not, I don't look around me and go, gee, how'd we get here? It's like, of course we <laughs> got here. This is the road we've been on for decades. It, it goes here. I don't know the exact configuration well, of bumps on in the road, but, it. you know,
3: they were on board with it. Absolutely, they they're on board with it. And a situation where that is the only right perspective.
0: That's correct. You know, that's correct. So
3: it's a, there's a righteousness involved as well. Um, yeah, which I think goes back to a certain extent about the way that we started talking about racism in the late 80s, which is when I think Peggy McIntosh's Invisible Knapsack came out, um, and we started saying 80, things like, yeah. what, 89, I think was, I was Well,
0: Crenshaw was 89. I don't know when knapsack was, but like, yeah, the, the critical race theory stuff started late 80s. Yeah, you're right.
3: Yeah, that's where it was. And it, it came in for education. The idea was to like make sure that everyone was getting a reasonable education uh, which is a good intention. Everyone should get a good education, uh, the best one available. Um, but yeah, the idea, I remember I was in high school at the time and there started to be this idea of like, if you're racist, then I just can't talk to you. Right. I remember a friend of mine, um, talking about someone that we both knew who it turned out had really unpleasant views about race. Um, And my friend said, you know, I said to this guy, please stop talking before I just have to hate you. Um, and that kind of, at the time, like that certainly made sense, like hate a person for being racist. If, if they haven't come along and decided to not be racist by now in the mid nineties, is there really any hope for a person? I mean, how do you even end up racist? Right? Like, and I guess, and we're still trying to figure all that out with, uh, and the answer is critical race theory. It's just you're born that way, apparently, it's like how you end up racist. Um, but yeah, so that started to be the dialogue. You can't talk to somebody who's racist because they just can't be taught. And so there's absolutely no point. And you need to punish them by shutting off discourse. That concept has been applied to every single area of leftist, righteous ideology, if you don't think climate change is a crisis, I can't talk to you. If you won't wear a mask, I can't talk to you. If you don't think that protests for BLM are appropriate, but protests for lockdown are wrong, I can't talk to you. If you want to go to brunch, I can't talk to you. If you think it's okay to get your hair done, I can't talk to you. It's, it's across the board, it's everything. You know, If you don't believe in implicit bias, I can't talk to you. If you like Donald Trump, I can't talk to you.
1: It's everything right. now. It's yeah,
3: taking over every aspect. Of it's
1: very cultish. It's about cu- cutting people out of your life. So we all end up in these tiny little bubbles where we mm-hmm. only talk to people who agree with us on every single thing and just follow whatever the tribe says. It, it's gotten to the point where you can sometimes predict a, a person's opinion on a myriad of issues if you know their opinion on just one issue. Because well, it, you can just the, say, well, you're in yeah. the tribe, so... I think but Isn't you probably, that a,
3: mistake? Isn't yeah, that a mistake, huge mistake? mistake to assume that anyone has a collection of ideas just because they have one idea? Um, I think that's remarkably dangerous. And the other thing, too, it's like how, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic, um, and there's this idea in Christianity that you can, um, with your own actions, show your beliefs in a much clearer way than you can with your words. And what kind of action is it to shut people off just because you don't like their one view or their other views or the way that they smell or their right. behavior in certain circumstances you know it's like how how easy is that to just shut everybody off from i mean what it, what, what is what is the privilege of talking to you do you know what i mean like right. really you're so you're so great that you're going to punish people and not let them talk to you. And not be part of their world. Why? What's so great about you? Seriously? It's like there's this idea. It was a couple of years ago. Um, uh, in New York. So we have homelessness. We have beggars. You know people panhandle is what it's called. Um, and the idea was. Don't give money to beggars. Don't engage them. Right? So you have people on the subway. And, and yes there's crazy people obviously. But the it is you're just supposed to ignore people when they ask you for money and not give them any money. Um, why if a homeless person is out on the street and they're asking me for something, I don't have to give them money but we're breathing the same air. We're exactly equal. There's no difference between either of us right I have yeah. some stuff that he doesn't he probably has some stuff that I don't I don't know I don't you know what I mean So like we exist together not not one of us is any better than anyone else just because we think something different or we look different than them or we have a house you know i'm not better than someone who doesn't have a tiny apartment to live in right i mean the very notion is
1: ludicrous i have a i have something you're you're making me think of this this just happened for me and this is a good i just want to share it because it's it was a good reminder for me that we we may we all make assumptions and and we should. Assumptions are shortcuts, basically. So, you know, we can, they're based on past experience and on, on, you know, accumulated knowledge. So generally, whenever I see a super woke person on Twitter, they have a couple things in their bio, and I'm sure you can guess what those are, but they usually have pronouns. Yeah, (laughs) they usually have (laughs) pronouns. They usually have BLM. They, there's a number of things they could have in their, in their bio. So, I, I ended up having a conversation on Twitter with this girl who I assumed was social justice. She had pronouns in her bio and BLM. And if it had just been one, maybe I wouldn't have been as sure, but it's both things. Right. So that I make that assumption and we started talking and she ended up telling me I, I, I'm not a social justice adherent. Okay. Well then it's interesting. Cause you, I make that assumption about you because you have those things in your bio. So we were talking about it and I'm like, what kind of assumptions do you make about me? Do you think I'm right wing because of certain things I have or certain things I post. And it was just a reminder to me that assumptions are good. They're a shortcut. But the nature of being being an assumption means that I have to be, like, I know that I could be wrong, I'm assuming. And you have to be open to being proven wrong on these individual cases where it's Um, like, oh, that person doesn't fit the stereotype. And if I just shut out everyone, I don't shut out everyone who is who is uh, woke or who I assume is woke for a reason, but if you're the kind of person who does, I think you're gonna miss out on those connections you could have with someone who maybe you're wrong about, maybe you're right about, and you still are able, you're, are missing out on connections you might be able to find, so.
3: Yeah, I think that's dead on, I think that's dead on, yeah.
1: interesting, because even I am I, like, you know, nobody's immune to that. You still will do it like, oh, I assume this about you. I may not want to be your friend, but, you know, you're, you're. I think you're shorting yourself when you do that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to read one. We've only had one super chat, but I want to read it because it's a question for Libby, if that's okay. It's B. Yeah. Allen. Thank you, B. Allen, for the super chat. Says, I'm curious to hear Libby's opinion of His Honor, the Mayor. Oh, <laughs> uh, Bill De Blasio. I guess <laughs> <What> a a
3: <laughs> clown. He's just hilarious. He's just the worst mayor of all time. He has no principles. He has no standards. He just says whatever he thinks is going to be prudent at any given time. And he appears to be a classic anti-Semite as well. So, I mean, God, like, when is he going to just be out of office? I I think it's really a shame. I do like my city councilman, though, who is a Democrat, uh, who I voted for as many times as I've seen him on the ballot. He always makes sure that we have um, garbage pickup, and he's really good. (laughs) But the mayor, no, I don't like the mayor at all. (laughs) He's terrible. He was out there telling everybody you have to stay in your homes, and you have to wear a mask, and you can't leave the house, and you have to do all of this stuff. And then the next thing you know, he's out there going, hooray for 10,000 people in front of the Brooklyn Museum of Art in favor you know advocating for black trans lives and he was in favor of that and then the next thing you know he's out there he didn't have a permit and he's painting a black lives matter in front of um the trump tower on fifth avenue no permit nothing not following any of the rules because it's perfectly okay for him to not follow the rules because he's the mayor totally stupid what a clown i hate him
0: (laughs) that's an awesome answer what a clown! I hate him. Is just the <laughs> that's the best answer. Can I um? I want to get back he to something. He shut
3: the playground. He shut the know, playground. And then got mad at people for like clipping the locks. It's like, how is it better to have the children playing in the street when they can't go to school? Or can we just open the stupid parks? <laughs> like, come on! And the parks were packed. We're out there having a picnic, trying not to get the COVID. And there we are, like, oh, it's just so, just play on the damn. Fucking
1: excuse me. Square <laughs> <laughs> jar for Libby. <laughs> what? Bleed. said we whatever. need a square jar. By the way, yeah. this is not a super chat. But Great Crispy says Libby is refreshing. There's been a lot of intense rhetoric <laughs> from us. Has there? I don't think we have intense rhetoric. Anyway, thanks for embracing Ooh. human human commonality, Libby. So you have a fan. Um, oh, and then. Thanks one other super chat carter just because there haven't been a lot i might as well read it uh mr biggles thank you mr biggles says it's getting like the u.s is keeping up with the joneses on steroids but where the mark of social standing is woke points oh yeah there's like the
3: oppression hierarchy right when we were in school i used to make this joke i wasn't the only one um i went to a very liberal school went to Sarah lawrence college uh, what's fun on Twitter is when people call out Sarah Lawrence to, like, try and shame me for, uh, try to get the school to shame me for being an alum. But, you know, they still call to ask me for money a couple times a year. Uh, um, I don't think they're ever going to stop doing that. I keep asking. But anyway, I don't remember my point. Oh, yeah, in college, we used to sort of have this thing, top my trauma. And everyone would talk about, like, you know, how horrible their life was at this and that. and like, oh, oh. And now it's like that, but it's entire, the entire culture, as opposed to just a bunch of drunk kids on campus.
0: <laughs> so i I, well, I want to get back to something that you were saying earlier, Libby. About um, you mentioned book. You were a bookkeeper, I think you said, at one point. Yeah. Um, I like the I like the analogy of uh, looking at both sides of the equation, especially when applied to giving the government something. As you were saying, you're going to have to give up something yourself. Uh, if they if they do something. E- even I, I think one of the marks of a lot of these crises is um, they're all catastrophized. And there's never any consequences to the proposed. There's never any consideration of negative consequences to any of the proposed solutions. And and like climate change is for me, the easiest one to see because it's been around forever. Um, but there's <laughs> never any like The the correct way to approach climate change, in my view, or maybe we should have a discussion about the correct way, which we're not allowed to have, but it seems like a reasonable way would be what's best for human flourishing on Earth, because that seems to be kind of important. We don't want to kill a bunch of people. So what's best for humans for this environment? Um, And that's never the standard, and there's never any any discussion of like, well, we're going to ban this, or we're going to do that. No one ever talks about, well this is going to have the following negative consequences to humans on the planet. So for example, uh, we're going to switch to, um, only wind and solar energy. Okay. Well, the cost of energy goes up dramatically. A lot of people can't afford energy. Energy is one of the most important things for human life. Uh, it allows us to have air conditioning and live in hot areas. It allows us to have heat and live in cold areas. No one ever asks questions like, well, let's assume that the earth temperature is going to rise. Okay. It's bad for Florida, Maybe bad for Martha's Vineyard. What's it like for Canada? Can we have a discussion about like, how does this work out for humans generally? We never have the other side of that equation. It's always, it's always science or academics say blank, mm-hmm. and this is the only solution allowed, and it's a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. If you don't go for this solution, that's the end. Um, and to me, that's just a mark of a fake crisis. It's a very easy sign to see. I think so, too.
3: And the other thing, too, is um, we have had some advancements in clean energy, but we're not taking advantage of them. Nuclear energy is remarkably clean energy compared to fossil fuels, compared to, you know, natural gas, oil, coal, all of that. Um, It's remarkably cheaper than solar and wind and uh, solar and wind, you know solar and wind come with waste as well those turbines don't uh they don't last forever There's nothing you can do with them they're eyesore they eat birds for breakfast you know and these are not great things Uh, but nuclear energy was completely i don't know vilified by the baby boomer generation who decided that though there had been no fatalities from nuclear energy, they did not want uh, nuclear power plants in their area. Newsom, back to California, shut down, I, I think, he shut down a nuclear power plant because of, you know, it's bad for the environment. But they're, they have a faulty electrical grid. This nuclear power plant oh, I provided... Know. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. We have brownouts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. provided it provided energy for like hundreds of thousands of people and they took it offline because why? It's not because we're believing the science, right? Because the science would tell us that nuclear energy is remarkably cleaner than all of this other stuff. And if we look at the history of energy, if we look at the history of fuel, which I think is just so fascinating, mm-hmm. right? Uh, think about it, like... Um, we used to burn down forests because we needed that fuel. Uh, so we used to do that, you know, in places they still do that. In uh, Chekhov, in um, Anton Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya, um, I forget who it was, Vashelin, who knows what his name is. Anyway, he goes on, he's got this great speech about how um, the Russian peasants are burning down the forest and how devastating it is that they are burning down the forest when they should just pick up the peat that is nat- naturally occurring or whatever on the ground and use that for their furnaces, but they're burning down forests instead. Uh, and peat, while maybe it was more renewable than the forest, uh, which was Vachelin's, I think it was Vachelin, um, which was his concern, uh, it's a much dirtier fuel to breathe in and to have in your home And so that's why the peasants would use trees instead. And Vashlin didn't like this burning down the forest, right? He thought this was terrible, this cutting down of the forest. Uh, That's the same story forever. We had whale oil, right? I mean, Moby Dick is about hunting whales. Why were we hunting whales? We were hunting whales to use as fuel. We used them for light. We used them for, I think, energy. We used them for all of this stuff. And that's what we used. We used whales. Uh, the only reason we saved the whales was because we stopped needing that fuel source. Right. If we were still operating on whale oil or whatever, blubber, what, who knows how nasty that whole thing is, if we were still operating on that, we would not have saved the whale, right? There would be no reason to save the whales. The only reason forests stopped getting cut down all over the place is because we found new forms of energy. Uh, we found oil, we found natural gas, we found coal, We use all this stuff, and we every energy source that we use, we use to propel ourselves to another new age of prosperity. And what is it that we are turning off? What prosperity are we turning off by refusing to use nuclear energy? Yes, there are risks associated with nuclear energy, of course. There are risks associated with every single kind of energy that human beings have ever tapped into since, who was it, Prometheus stole the fire from the
0: (laughs) gas? Yes, it was Prometheus. (laughs) Yeah. So
3: it's the same, you know, we risk the ire of the gods then, we risk the ire of the gods now, whatever it is. That doesn't mean that we need to shut down progress and human adaptation. And we've got to figure out, I tinfoil hat time, we've got to figure out how to use fuel to get beyond the confines of our solar system, right? I mean, don't we want mm-hmm. to? We're dreamers. We're explorers. What do we need to burn to get past it? Let's find out. Maybe it's nuclear.
0: Yeah. No, and I think the nuclear thing is like, one of the things that bothers me about the nuclear thing is when you see the, even when you see catastrophe from nuclear, um, you see everything from Chernobyl to, uh, what is it, Fukushima, right? If you add up the impact, the negative impact per kilowatt that nuclear power has had on humanity those catastrophes pale in comparison to the slow injuries and death and everything else that happens with other forms of fuel it's just it's kind of like the mass shooting thing right it's like oh we're going to report on the the one big event but we're going to ignore chicago where people are shot constantly <laughs> um all oh. week every weekend um and it's it's because nuclear power catastrophes lend themselves to sensationalism and uh, the, these huge explosive stories. Whereas you know a couple people die in a coal mining accident every couple of years, no one cares.
1: I have a, I I, I just want yeah, to say I
0: think that's well, exactly right.
1: I have a, a question from the uh, from the chat. It's not a super chat, but he keeps. Uh, Posting, so I'm just going to ask you, Livy. So persistence is
0: being rewarded. Persistence, persistent, yeah.
1: But first of all, I want to say too bad we can't find a way to harness energy out of outrage and moral indignation because we, be, <laughs> we would be set. Um, that so, would be amazing. <laughs> so Jeff in chat keeps asking about uh, your opinion of de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, calling him anti-Semitic, what is that rooted in? Because anybody who's not in New York might not be familiar with that. I'm not. I assume it's about his response to synagogues, but uh, I'm not sure.
3: Yeah, so um, that's mostly about his coming out against the, uh, he basically said that the Jewish neighborhoods were spreading coronavirus because they were refusing to self-isolate and refusing to lock themselves down um, and insisting on holding communal gatherings. The Orthodox Jewish community is a very, it it appears to be, I live nearby um, Orthodox Jewish communities, it appears to be a very uh, communal group of people who all live in the same place um, and the kids are all playing outside. Uh, You know, I'm sure Orthodox Jews who are detractors of this will tell you lots of problems with it. That's fine everything's got problems. I have no issue with that. Um, but de Blasio was shutting down religious schools. And he was complaining specifically earlier in the pandemic, as we say now, um, about Jewish community spread, like, specifically, uh, shutting down synagogues and shutting down gatherings of Jews while allowing um, massive BLM protests to happen. Yeah. So, you know, there was at one point a bake sale that some Jewish kids were putting on for their school and they called it a uh, George Floyd bake sale so that they could hold it. Wow. Smart kids.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So that's sort of what was, that's sort of what was going on was um, Jewish gatherings. No. Um, Protest gatherings. Sure. What the fuck is that? excuse me again sorry what is that about that's not reasonable um and even now he's been saying like you know the jewish community is at fault and so punitively we're going to have what they're calling a rewind we had been on pause in in new york cuomo was calling it a pause and now it's a uh now it's a rewind i guess we're rewinding to the place where we paused Get out that 8-track, people. We're in
0: the cassette I don't know. It's, it, yeah. it, you're depressing me because, uh, yeah, the, these crises are never going to end, and they are using the crises more and more. And if Biden wins, uh, the, cri- the, the crisis peddlers yeah. win. If Biden wins.
3: The crisis polluters win. And he's going to continue peddling crisis. They're trying to pivot to this climate thing. It's the big crisis. Um, what are we going to do when it's, uh, you know, what kind of pauses are we going to put on our lives because of the climate crisis? Are we not going to travel? You had Extinction Rebellion and Greta Thunberg last year. You know, she refused to even take a flight. Um, so stupid. And uh, everybody's saying like, oh, if you're against... You know, if you're in favor of, I don't know, stopping all of human life to stop climate change, then you won't take a flight anywhere. You won't travel. You won't. And again, what was that? That was about like not being part of society anymore. You had um, Extinction Rebellion who was saying, like, we're not going to have children because the world's just too bad. You know, the world is always the world always sucks.
0: Yeah, but and that's fine with me.
3: Reason To not have kids. Have, well, kids. That, they, they joy, have kids. I you think they cannot have kids. I'll be
0: okay with that. That's fine with me.
3: No, they, like, sure, I guess that's everybody's choice. But um, this it's just so ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous. Life is always in peril. Humanity right. is always on the brink of total disaster and destruction. Um, well, this
0: is what you were talking about before. That's always Everything's true. risk management. All right. Everything is like there's a cost benefit. There's a risk reward to everything we do. I think mm-hmm. Carrie mentioned this, right? Getting in the car, mm-hmm. everything is 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 a risk reward Uh, but they catastrophize literally everything um
3: yeah and i never drove a car i never had a license um the lockdown and the impending threat of new lockdowns made me spend the summer learning how to drive a car i now have a license
1: I'm so excited. And I'm, I'm, in so
3: excited. <laughs>
1: and and I'm gonna at some point to Texas. Yes. <laughs> now there's gonna be a road trip possibility yes. at some point yes. in your future to the great state of Texas.
3: My son <laughs> even said today he was like, Mom, I want to get out of town. And I was like, yeah, okay. Let's do it. Let's get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Ludicrous. I'm excited.
1: Well, Libby, I want to thank you so much for coming on today, and um, we're going to put it in the description where people can follow you, but again, can you tell people your Twitter handle? My Twitter is Libby Emmons. And you guys, go follow Libby, because Libby was in feminist theater, and now Uh she's doing journalism, and... She faced a lot of conservative journalism and she's lost a, a, like a lot of people who have started engaging in wrong think or just searching for truth or saying what they think. She's faced a lot of uh, personal consequences of that and, you know, gets regularly attacked by people uh, for just (laughs) being reasonable. (laughs) So go show her some love at Libby Evans on Twitter. It's Libby. Lots of fun,
3: and Mike always got something to say. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for coming, Libby. It was a great talk.
3: Yeah, thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our unsafe space chat on Telegram. See you there.
2: Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 96.8% chance that their opinions are obsolete. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Having liberty is scary. Why keep it? You aren't using it anyway. Computer voice, Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.